0: Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.
1: <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we do love you and worship you today. We well, want just continue to worship the Lord with me for a moment. We are so thankful to you, Lord. We're so thankful for you. Father, we are so grateful for your word and we come to your word today. We come boldly before your word. We believe that we receive eyes that see, ears that hear. Hearts that understand, we want more than anything, eyes that see Jesus. As we look into the Word, we want to see the Word, the Word made flesh. We want to hear the voice of the Word, Jesus, our good shepherd who calls us by name, who leads us out. Out of whatever we're in that we need out of, we thank you, Jesus, that you're faithful to lead us out. And we thank you so much for hearts that understand today, more about who we are in Jesus, who Jesus is in us. Father, we will see from you today manifestations of the presence of Jesus. Jesus, our healer. Jesus, our savior. Jesus, our redeemer. Thank you for this, Lord. I believe that this will be a marker on the timeline of our lives and on the timeline of this church. And we'll be able to point back to this day and say, we were changed then. We were different then and we're not going back. We're not going back. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Say it again. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you're wondering what you're thanking him for. Everything. Yes. This just everything. That's all. <laughs> when you don't know what to say, you can always say, thank you, Jesus. Those are the people with the greatest faith. Those who are just thanking the Lord all the time. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You can thank Him by faith for what He's done. You can thank Him by faith for what you're expecting Him to do, what you're counting on Him to do. Just thanking Him all the time, all the time. Amen? It's a real privilege and an honor to be with you guys today. We've already had a lot of fun first service. How many uh, hangovers do we have from first service? Is that the right word, hangover? Is that really the way? I, I guess if you are hungover, this is a good place for you to be this morning. Hopefully we can do something about that too. But... Uh, Anybody? I know you were here first service. Thank you, sir. I remember the beard. Thank you for being back second service. Anybody else with us from the first one this morning? Listen, I think uh, the way the Lord's leading us in this service, it's going to be totally different than where we've already been. First one was really not that great anyway. So you are, you are blessed. No, it was, we had a great time, really a wonderful time. So I encourage you to go get that CD or however uh, your church has made that available to you. Don't miss out on that. These are things that the Lord says to you. These are special moments that we have. Um, every day is precious. We know that. But I think sometimes we realize it in theory more than anything else. You know, things are, a tri- things are attributed value oftentimes based on how rare they are. You ever seen that before? The, the more rare something is, the more precious it is, the more valuable we're told that it is. Right, fellas? That's why we spend all that money on that diamond. Because it's so rare. Meanwhile, every other hand in here has one on it. That's how rare those are. But even more than things like that, these, these moments that we have together, these are what's rare. You don't, you don't ever get another today. I know tomorrow's coming, and, and that's great, but this one. This one that we have in here together this morning. So I really do believe that oftentimes when you're part of a family like this, you're here uh, because you've got something to bring. You've got a supply. But I do believe that the Lord speaks to you in this place. I believe the Lord gives you answers in and through this place. But here's the catch. You've got to be here to hear it. I have experienced this before, and I know I've heard the Lord say this to me before. Jeremy, I want you in this place at that time because I'm going to be speaking to you there, whether you're there or not to hear it. You understand what I'm saying? And there are people, I really believe it, there are people in this community who are getting answers on a weekly basis in this place. And they're not here to hear it. And that's a sad thing. But you're here, so I'm not talking to them, I'm talking to you. (laughs) And we're going to have a good time today. So if it's worth it to you, go back and and find out what the the Lord already said to us in this first service. Because I think today we're going to take, in the second service, a bit of a different direction. If you brought a Bible, I want you to go with me to the book of Matthew. Excuse me, and let's begin in Matthew chapter 11. And I want to read some things that Jesus said. How many believe those are important things? As a matter of fact, I think we'll spend the whole day looking at red words today. It would do you good to every day put your eyes on red words. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, let's start there. It says, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father. So who's he talking to here? He's talking to his Father. Man, I I think we sometimes underestimate What a gift it is to have a glimpse into Jesus' prayer life. And you know he had one of those, right? You know if Jesus had to have a prayer life, what do you think you need? Yeah, you and I better have one, huh? So here's a glimpse into Jesus having a conversation with his Father. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. For what, Jesus? That you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Verse 27, the conversation shifts, and it's like he's talking to us now, and he says, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills, to reveal him so in just a couple of verses here we've already heard Jesus talk about this idea this concept of revelation what did he say in verse 25 that God has revealed these things not to the wise not to the prudent but to babes he said but in, and then in verse 27 he said no one knows the father except the son and the one to whom the son wills to reveal him so Jesus is talking to us about revelation knowledge, revealed knowledge. And whether you know this or not in your Christian life, that's what you're after. You want revelation. More than anything, that's what you want. We prayed this a moment ago about having eyes that see and ears that hear. Jesus, uh, just a couple of chapters later from this, he's going to be preaching to a great big crowd of people but to many of them, he said, look, you've got eyes, but you don't see. Yeah. You remember when he said that seeing they don't see, hearing they don't hear. And he was explaining a parable to his disciples. And after he told the parable, they came and brought him aside. And they were like, can you explain to us what that whole thing was that you just said? It was the parable of the sower. Won't get into all of it. But, but he said, look, I'm having to preach to them in parables because seeing they don't see, hearing they don't hear. But then he turned around to his disciples and said, but your eyes are blessed. Your ears are blessed. Why? Because you see. And you hear. You see what prophets of old wanted to see. You hear what they all wanted to hear. And you're blessed because of it. What was he talking about? What was it they saw that others didn't? Him. Him. They didn't just... Here, a preacher out there that day, they heard Jesus, the Son of God. They saw and they heard. Proverbs says that ears that hear and eyes that see, both are gifts from the Lord. Man, when revelation happens on the inside of you, the light comes on, the cover comes off. That's a gift. Because I can't flip that switch for you. You can't flip it for me and we can't flip it for ourselves. That is the work and the miracle of the Holy Spirit of God going to work inside of you to show you Jesus. To flip that switch, right? What if you come in this room and it's pitch black and you're fumbling around in here looking for something. And then all of a sudden the lights come on. You don't stand back and say, wow, look what the light put there. No. No. It was there all along. The light just lets you see it. The light just lets you see what's been there the whole time. That's what light does, and that's what revelation is. And Jesus is talking to his father about it. He said, you've revealed some stuff. And there are people who are seeing it. Then he goes on and talks about no one knows the son except the father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal. Now, when he said the one, if you look in your Bible, many of your Bibles will let you know. That's kind of added there by translators. Jesus said, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and to whom the Son wills to reveal it. Now, if you stop right there, like I think many people probably have, you build an entire doctrine on one verse of scripture. Anybody in here have little kids or had little kids or was a little kid at one point? So we've got a six-year-old and a three-year-old and I find myself fairly often saying things like, put that back where you found it. If you've got little ones at home, you know what I'm talking about. Put Put that back where you found it. Go put that back where you found it. You're in a store or you're in somebody else's house, right? And they're pulling stuff off shelves. Don't put that back where you found it. Put that back. What's the problem? They've taken it out of where it belongs, right? And it, it actually can do damage to it depending on what it is. I think sometimes we ought to take that same approach with some scripture. Go put that thing back where you found it. Put that back where it came from. And what Jesus said here, you know, talking about the one to whom the Son wills to reveal the Father, I think if you're not watchful, you'll build a theology and a doctrine that says, well, see, there are some that God wants to do this for and some that God doesn't want, and it's already all been predetermined, and we know who's going to be born again, and we know who's not. And, and really, to, to understand some of these things and to not be confused by them, what do you have to do? Put it back where you found it. Go put it back in the context where it came from. And if you just read, I don't know, the verse before it, maybe even the verse after it, light comes on. So Jesus said, talking about the one to whom the son wills to reveal in verse 28, come to me all. Okay, so here's who the son wants to reveal the father to all y'all some good Texas. I brought you some Texas this morning. So you just put it back and you realize, if you understand this about Jesus, every word out of his mouth, every miracle in his ministry, every bit of it was to reveal the will, the heart, the nature, the character of God. Scripture tells us he is the express image of God, the visible image of the invisible God. That's why he said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So whatever he's saying here, is, you know it's a revelation of God. And you know it because he just said, I'm about to reveal something to you about the Father. And here's the one I want to reveal it to. Come to me. How many? All. all. Look what that does for that way of thinking that this belongs to some and not to others. Come to me all, but not just all. Who? Especially all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will add to that burden. I will put some more stuff on your back to carry. Nobody say, Come to me all who all you who labor and are heavy laden, and what am I going to do? I will give you rest. Now remember this is a revelation of the Father. Lights coming on here, covers coming off. You're seeing some things about God that have been there the whole time, but for whatever reason in your life or mine, they've been in the dark, and Jesus is doing what Jesus does. And the Spirit of God in you right now, for some of you, I know this, is flipping a switch, and you're about to see something about your Heavenly Father, maybe that you didn't know already or you hadn't seen before, and that light's going to come on, and you're not going to stand back and say, oh, look who God just became. No, this is who He's been. All along. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I'm going to make a trade with you. You bring me all that labor. You bring me all that burden. When he said heavy laden, you go back and study some of this and it created the picture in their minds. They knew exactly what he was talking about. Are you familiar with the concept of a pack mule? An animal, a beast of burden? An animal whose whole job was just to carry the weight, wow. to carry the load. That's the picture of this. And these people had been under such a tremendous load, first spiritually, which then yielded an outward lifestyle. If, that's, if you're heavy on the inside, guess what you are on the outside? That's right. That's
0: the truth.
1: And that's the way these people lived. The Law that they lived under that law that was designed to bring man to the end of himself and show him, "Hey, you need somebody to rescue you it was It had become such a heavy burden to them, and what what religious leaders had added to it and added to it and added to it in this this effort to try to measure up to somebody who could somehow, some way, maybe be worthy of the presence of God, but you can't. Right. It was such a heavy load on them, such a heavy burden. And Jesus said, hey, come to me and I'm going to make a trade with you. You give me all of that, all your burden, all your weight, all your labor, all your toil, you study some of this you know you're going to find connected to it we'll look at it here in just a second all your worry all your anxiety i'll trade you i'll give you my what was it rest now whatever you do do not tell jesus that that's a bad trade that's a bad trade i think he knows it though to understand what's going on, though, you've got to back up to verse 25 where we began. Do you notice that it said, at that time, Jesus answered and said some things. Do you see that there? At that time. I was studying this several years ago, and I found another translation of Scripture that I really like. And those of you who just love studying the Word, I really recommend it. It's the Wiest translation, the Wiest New Testament. I think it's W-U-E-S-T. And in that translation, he he really expounds on this. It doesn't just say at that time. It says at that epochal and strategic moment. Epochal and strategic moment. So the idea here is is don't just look at this as like, you know, 11 o'clock on a Tuesday. Jesus said something. This was not just a time of day. This was a strategic moment. And when I read that word, epochal, I had no idea what it meant. So I had to look it up. E-P-O-C-H-A-L. And this is what it means. It means a moment that signifies the the beginning of a new development or a new era. It's a moment in time. It's a marker, if you will. We prayed that a moment ago about this being a marker that signifies the beginning of something new. A new way of living, a new way of thinking started right here at this moment and began a whole new development, a whole new era. But here's what else goes with that. The understanding of an epochal moment is that to begin a new development, You first have to end an old one. And that's what's so powerful about this moment. In the same moment, you begin something new and you end something old. And if you think about it, there are moments like this in our lives. They're not necessarily every day, but our lives across that timeline of your life, they're kind kind of sporadic through that. You've had these moments, these epochal moments that started something new and ended something old. The one I always think of is September 1st, 2007, for me. That's the day I married Sarah Hart. That was an epochal moment for me. Why? It began a new development, a new era, a new way of life. But the moment this new way of life began, guess what happened to the single way of life? He ended. For married Jeremy to live and flourish and thrive, single Jeremy had to come to an end. I don't mean I lost my personality, I lost my character, none of that. But you know, you're familiar with this, this concept of marriage, right? And they, when you get thrust into that, there's some things that need to change. And I'll tell you, this is what makes it difficult for people, especially early on in the marriage, when you're trying to live in this new development in this new era and hold on to the old one. That's going to make stuff hard, fellas. That's going to make stuff really <laughs> difficult when you're trying to keep single you alive in this new development. No, for this one to start, this one needs to end. We had another one of those moments after we'd been married a couple of years when Justice James Pearsons was born into our house and us without kids that era ended and the new era began the the new development and it actually it's almost hard to remember the old one we have pictures so i know it happened but it's hard to remember back we talk about it sometimes and we look at each other like what did we do what were we doing with our lives before this guy showed up and then his little sister two, three years later? What was life like? I think there was just more television in our lives at that point. <laughs> Definitely more ice cream and, uh, you know, just whatever we wanted to do. Our lives were our own. But that development, that era ended almost seven years ago now. <laughs> but here's, here's the other thing about an epochal moment. It almost always carries with it the idea of a step up. Always. It's an increase. It's not just, it's not just linear. It's vertical, if you will. I mean, this, this good way of life came to an end so an even better one could begin. Isn't that interesting that all of that is in this word at that time? So what Jesus said here and this invitation that he extended to you and I to come make this trade with him. This is not just like I said, 11 o'clock on a Tuesday. There's strategy here. He said, listen, I'm starting something new today. I'm inviting you into a new way of life today. This is a moment that's going to start a new way of living for you. And it's called living in rest. Very good. Nobody had lived at rest. Certainly not spiritually. And even though culture was probably very, very, very different from ours now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the stress that we face now was absent then. That's right. They probably thought they were very stressed out. You know what I mean? I mean just different kinds of things. Stress them, I'm sure. But you think about our culture right now and stress and what, what a major part that is of how people are living their lives. I was doing some study on this just a few days ago. I was reading a book that a doctor had written. And he said somewhere between 75 and 90% of all doctor and hospital visits are stress-related. That whatever physical ailments going on, whether it be pain or sickness or disease, he said somewhere between 75 and 90% of that is rooted in stress. People are stressed out, folks. I mean, people are just burnt out. And it's because we've not... Accepted properly Jesus' invitation to come to him and learn to rest. Because the kind of rest we're going to talk about for a few minutes has to start on the inside. It's got to come from the inside out. It cannot come from the outside in and people are trying to make it. When you try to make rest and free yourself from stress, you try to make that come from the outside in. That's when you start looking to prescription. That's when you start looking to drugs or alcohol or you start looking to anything that you can try to bring, like I said, from the outside in. I was just recently sent an email from the CEO of an organization, just an email blast. Not, not, Not a Christian guy, I guess. But he was writing about some of these things, stress, and their company produces some products that are supposed to help you cope with it. And he was talking about the levels of stress that he was suffering from in his life and how he spent so much money trying to figure out a way out of it and how he spent three weeks with Buddhist monks in Tibet. (laughs) At this point, I gave him a real hefty eye roll, you know? (laughs) But this is what people are trying to fix on a daily basis, the stress, the stress, the stress. There's a higher way of life available to you and available to me. But it came to you as an invitation. And Jesus, I've never said this before, he's waiting on your RSVP to his (laughs) invitation. And it's an RSVP, ASAP <laughs> kind of invitation. It's not automatic is what I'm saying to you. That's right. Would you like to know how to deal with some of this stress? Yes, sir. Because it's coming to you every day from so many different places. There are stressors that happen as the result of events in your life, a, a death in the family, or... Uh, a divorce or relationship trouble or a job loss any of these kinds of stressors like a a moment a a big thing that you look at and it it tries to feed stress to you but as much or maybe even more so than stuff like that is just the daily stuff Mm -hmm. just the stuff man (laughs) and there's a way to live it's not a way to live free of all this because all of it's natural stuff. And as long as you're on this planet, it's coming. That's right. But there is a way to live above it. Come on. There is a way to live where it doesn't affect you like it affects everybody else. Yeah. And of course, you know this, it starts with coming to Jesus. You're here in Matthew. Just turn back a few pages to uh, Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at some other things Jesus said about this. I believe today could be an apocalyptic moment for you. Yeah. That the old era of your labor comes to an end and the new era in your life of his rest starts. Could that be this day? Could this be that day for you? In uh, Matthew chapter 6... Jesus said in verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, I think a lot of people have thought that meant you can't serve God and money. He's saying you can't serve God and money as a God. That's You can't serve God and money as a God. When he said this, it takes kind of looking at some of the other accounts. If you couple it with Luke chapter 12, this response came from a guy who interrupted his message and said, Hey, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus responded to him and said, man, you can just almost hear the frustration in his voice. Man, I was talking, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? He said something to this guy. I guarantee you that guy was not expecting. He said, what you need to beware of is covetousness. Beware of covetousness. All covetousness is, is wanting something too much. Just wanting it too much. So that's what all this, you put it back in the context, that's what this is in response to. Look, you can't serve God and serve money as a God. Verse 25, therefore... I say to you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry, he said. And the reason I read verse 24 to you is because I want you to understand that what he's about to say to you came out of the context of him talking to you and talking to me about the stress related to money. Oh, you've never experienced any of that. Well, let me tell you, (laughs) as someone who has, it's real. It's real, and people are facing it. People are dealing with it. Jesus said, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. Other translations say, take no thought. Others say, take no anxious thought. I like this, though. New King James, do not worry about your life. And I like these two little words, do not. We touched on this first service. You go back and study some of this in the original way it was written. It might have been better translated like this. You ready? Stop it. (laughs) When he said do not, it was some of the strongest prohibitive language that they had. In the Greek language or the way it got translated, stop it. In other words, don't let this continue. Stop worrying about your life. Now, help me out, Christians. When God tells you to not do something and you go ahead and do it anyway, what's that called? I'm looking for a little three-letter word. What's it called? Sin. sin. Very good, boys and girls. It's, it's called sin. When God tells you don't do this and you do it anyway, it's called sin. So, if God said to you, stop worrying, and you go ahead and worry some more, what's that called? Sin. It's sin. It's the sin of worry. It's going over big. I can feel it right now. How excited. (laughs) The reason we have such a hard time with that, though, is our response to it is. You know, I can't help that. It's only natural that I worry. It's only natural that I worry. And to that I say, you're exactly right. It's only natural. That's right. Only. That's all, That's all it is, just natural. And Jesus said, stop it. Stop worrying about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He said, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now here's the question. Are you not of more value than they? So when Jesus asks you a question, it's not rhetorical. It's for you to answer him. So imagine Jesus is standing here looking you in the eye and says, I've got a question for you. If you look out the window and consider all the birds out there, take a break from your worry for a second and watch them. Watch them. Are they, have you ever seen a bird pace? <laughs> have you ever seen a bird lie awake at night? Worried about where the food's going to come from, where the clothes are going to come from. He said, look at the birds. Look at the birds. And then he asked you this question. Are you not of more value than they? Here's how you, one of the first steps on how you enter in to the rest of God. You begin to get a revelation of your value. Your value. Jesus is asking you whether or not you know how much you're worth to God. Because if you knew what you were worth, if you knew how valuable you were to him, you wouldn't worry about the food on the table. You wouldn't worry about the clothes on your back. You wouldn't worry about the money coming into your house. You've got... To get a revelation of what you're worth. Yes. Have you ever. I don't know if you've ever experienced this or not. But you go. Let's say you go into a place and you buy something. You see something in there that's for whatever reason it just captures your heart. Maybe it looks like something you grew up with. I, I don't know. But you, you, you're willing to pay whatever price they're asking for it. Because it means something to you. It's precious to you. Somebody comes to your house sometime later, and they see that thing, whatever it is, up and up on the shelf, whatever and they're like, "What is that?" and you tell them what it is, and they're like what, what what'd you pay for that?" and maybe you paid a lot, and they say, "You paid that for that. Are you crazy?" And they look at you and say it 's not worth that much, but the problem is they don 't get to determine how much it 's worth why?" They didn't buy it. You bought it. So you, watch this now. This is so cool. You are the only one on the planet who gets to determine its value. Why? You bought it. And you, because you bought it, are the one who attributed value to it. And you said it's worth at least this much, if to nobody else but me. And even if the rest of the 7 billion of us totally disagreed with you, none of us get to determine its value because we didn't buy it. It's the price that's paid for something that determines its value. Can I tell you that the Bible says you were bought with a price? Scripture says you were redeemed, not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which means you don't get to look in the mirror and talk about how unworthy you are. You don't get to tell God you're not worth this. You don't get to think in your life how, how low down, how dirty, what a dog you are. You don't get to talk unworthy words. Why? You didn't buy you. He bought you. He paid for you. You don't get to just feed on other people's words about who you are. They didn't buy you. To the ones who said your whole life you were worth nothing, you are nothing, you'll never be nothing. They didn't buy you. They don't get to determine your value. Jesus himself bought you, paid for you. And when God paid with the blood of Jesus, he was saying to all men for all time, this is what you're worth to me. And it matters not to, to me, what anybody else says, what anybody else thinks. I've attributed value to you. And the moment I paid this for you, that's what you became worth. What's that do to your worry level? What's that do to the anxiety level? Are you kidding me? This is what I'm worth in the eyes of God. What do you do with the most precious things in your house? What do you do with the most valuable things in your house? You take care. You take care of them. The things in your home that are worth the most to you, I guarantee you they're not sitting out in the front yard right now at your house. Are they? No. Why? Because it might not be there when you get back. But the things that are most precious to you, you. This is. I want you to hear these words. You take care of them. That's right. You take it. This gets worse. He said this in verse 12, twenty-seven. Which of you, by worrying? Can add one cubit to his stature. <laughs> it's another question, and you need to answer it. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit? We might say, "Well, how, could could you make yourself an inch taller?" If I mean, just imagine, this a little dude, right over here, just in the corner. This is just a little guy, you know. And you come across him, and he's just teeth grit, arms tight. <laughs> What's the matter, little man? What, what, what are you doing? I'm, worrying. I'm worried about what? I want to be taller. I want to be taller. What are you trying to do? Make myself taller. Jesus is asking a question. Which of you, by worrying about your height, could add some height to you? Can you do it? Is that possible? No. Is it possible to worry about not being six foot? And then an hour later, you're six foot. Why? Because you're worried really hard about it. Is that possible? No. It's foolish, is it not? Would you say it's just as foolish to think that being worried over your finances is going to add even a dollar to your life? I mean, how many pastors do you know, have you met, that are worried about... Church growth. Church attendance. Does worrying add any people to the congregation? No. Because worrying can't add anything to you. Well, I, I worry. I'm a parent, so I worry. Can worrying over your kids' safety protect them?
0: No.
1: No. Well, it's only natural that I worry. I know. That's what I'm trying to get you to undo. (laughs) Stop living only naturally.
0: That's right. A good
1: parent is not one who worries, a good parent is one who casts the care of their children onto the Lord. You love them more than I could. You care for them more than I could. I receive your gracious gift of protection over their lives. You watch them when I'm not there and I can't even see them. And I rest in your love for them. Do you have just another minute? verse 28 so why do you worry about clothing consider the lilies of the field how they grow they neither toil nor spin toil nor spin that means worrisome labor labor i always thought it was interesting that jesus said look how they grow they grow by what they don't do mm. there's the key to how they grow mm. by not toiling and not, what's the next word? I thought, how does he know how we live life? Is this not a good picture of what you and I are doing on a daily basis? How many, how many of you have described your life like that? I just feel like I'm going in circles. I just, I'm just going in circles, just spinning around and around and around and around. And Jesus is saying, are you? Is that what it feels like? Okay, stop it. Stop, stop it.
0: Because your growth,
1: your growth is dependent upon you stopping the spinning. Stop toiling. I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So all this worrying you're doing, all it is, is saying, God, look how little faith I have. Look how little I trust you. And it can all be fixed by looking out the window. Just taking a few minutes to shut down the noise. Turn turn down the volume. Look outside. Just look at some birds for a little bit. Look at some flowers for a little bit. Mm Jesus said, look at the birds. Okay, I'm going to look at the birds. Do you know what a hard time you and I would have with that? Like eight seconds into bird watching, we'd be like, okay, are we done? I got stuff I got to go do. How, how indicative, though, how characteristic is that of the way we live life? You can't chill out for a half an hour or an hour or a day and watch. Just... Meditate on what God has put in creation to show you, to reveal to you, to turn the light on for you about what He thinks about you, how He feels for you. Mm, yeah. mm, that's
0: good. Wow.
1: Yeah. Therefore, He said in verse 31 wow. do not worry. Come on, help me out. What did He really say? Stop. Stop it. Stop worrying. Saying, here's a big revelation. Here, here's how we know you're worried. It's coming out your mouth all the time.
0: Right.
1: It's coming out of your mouth all the You worry saying. You worry saying. You've been thinking on it and thinking on it and thinking on it. And when it came out your mouth, you gave power to it. Stop worrying, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But you, verse 33, seek first The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, what's it say? Do not or therefore Stop. stop worrying about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Stop it. Just stop it. Stop worrying about tomorrow.
0: Yes. Amen.
1: How do I do that, Jesus? Let me. Here, here's the answer. Here's the key to all of it. By faith.
0: It by faith
1: yeah. You do it by faith. So what's going to bolster this faith to bring you to the place where you look at the same situation and circumstance that everybody else does and every, everybody else is going through? And you don't have that natural response, that stress response, that worry response, that anxiety response. What's going to bring you to that place? Well, we just saw it. Get a revelation of how deeply and madly you are loved. Because faith works by love. In other words, faith works when you know how much you're loved. It'll go to work. I mean, what's that do for you to find out somebody loves you? It brings the trust up, doesn't it? Yes. I am so confident in my wife that she loves me. I can trust her with my life. Because I know how much she loves me. She knows how much I love her. That trust comes up. And when you trust, you rest.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: You're, you're better at this than you know. That's right. Every single one of you in here right now are demonstrating great faith great rest because you came into this this uh sanctuary this morning and you sat down i bet none of you came in here and before you sat down i bet none of you did three laps around that chair studying it (laughs) asking to see some sort of test pressure test has this chair been properly tested how can I know that it will hold me? Can I see the report? On the, I'll sit down, but first I want, I want to have a doctor's note that says, this tra- chair is structurally sound for me. Nobody did that. You just came in and you sat down. And right there where you're sitting, what have you done? You've taken all the weight off of you and you've put it on that chair. You're not holding yourself up. That chair's doing that for you. You put faith in it. You put faith in it. And because you put faith in it, you are resting. Faith is a rest. And if you believe anything the Bible says, then you need to believe that you and I have been seated with Jesus in heavenly places. He gave us a seat. Come on in. Take a seat. Take a seat. And you sure did not ask for a study on that chair. He made it. And he made it available to you. So come sit down. Come sit down. Come rest in him. Yes, yes, yes. Faith, is a rest. Faith is a rest. Come to me, Jesus said. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I'll make a trade with you. I will give you my rest. I'll just give it to you. I'll just give it to you. And you're going to have to learn to rest inwardly before you can ever rest outwardly. All these sicknesses and diseases and chronic pain, chronic fatigue, chronic disease that you just can't seem to get loose of, all of that stems from a lack of inward rest. It's inward rest. Yeah. I'll be real transparent, real honest with you. there have been some things, just some little things in my body over the last few months that I just haven't liked. it's been annoying. I wouldn't call it sickness or anything like that, but just just some stuff not working like I know it's supposed to. And I'm like, Lord, why don't you get this thing off me? You know I mean I, you're my healer. I call you healer. in Jesus name, I'm healed, right? And it wasn't until just the last few weeks that I finally heard the voice of the Lord say, Jeremy, I could take that off you today, but if you don't deal with the way you've let stress into your life, it'll be back tomorrow. So it's not the thing itself, it's dealing with the heart of it. That's right. And we, we've been in a kind of a funky season in our lives. We moved out of our house. We're getting ready to move into another one, but we've been in a temporary place for a few months while the the next one's getting finished up and ready for us. But the temporary place, unfortunately, is the better part of an hour from school and work. So every day, almost an hour there in traffic, almost an hour home in traffic with two little ones in the back seat. Remember what I said about the daily stressors? (laughs) Does anybody in here know what it's like to wake up just staring at the clock? we got to go. we got to go. we got to go. Get these kids up. Get these kids dressed. The countdown is on from the time your eyes pop open. we got to get these guys out the door, out the door. We have to leave at 720. If we leave any later, we're going to get stopped by at least one of the three train tracks we cross to get to school, to get to work. We're going to sit in traffic, and the whole time we're driving to school, it's staring at that clock. Are we going to make it? 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 And I, I, I'm, I'm sad to report to you that more than once, more than twice, more than a dozen times, I've completely lost my joy before 10 a.m. <laughs> this has been god has been out the window. Because the kids are sleepy. They're cranky. They're on each other's nerves. And mine. And it's, and it's these daily things. They set the tone for your day. They try to set... The direction of where you're headed and it seems so silly and small but i'm telling you if you don't catch that and you don't stop it from getting in you it is a snowball effect and we experienced something the other day on the way to school we got in the car and justice our six-year-old started singing oh happy day happy day he said daddy turn that song on so i find it on my phone and we turn on oh, and the family just starts singing we're all singing happy day happy day Jesse, she's three she's singing it and then when that song was over Sarah and I started pulling up some of the old praise and worship songs that we liked when we were kids and we started playing them for Justice and Jesse. and a lot of it was loud and fast and fun and a look in the back seat Justice is air drumming air guitaring. <laughs> I'm beating the steering wheel we sang we praised we worshiped we air guitared, we air drummed for the better part of an hour all the way to school same traffic same timing, but we arrived in a totally different condition. And it's like it occurred to me, wow, praise and worship can change how you feel. Somebody should preach on this. Totally affected our day. Absolutely changed it. What we do? We entered into some rest just by praising And by worshiping. It wasn't hard. It was easy. It was fun. You can do this. But this is an invitation that's been extended to you. I took too long, Pastor. This invitation's been extended to you, and he's waiting. Are you going to come? Because you you can go to counseling, you can go to therapy, and I'm not saying anything is necessarily wrong with any of that stuff, unless you do it first. When you put any of that stuff before coming to Jesus, it's nothing but just chasing your tail, chasing your tail, chasing
0: your tail. Chasing your tail. Very, good, very good.
1: You bring this stuff to Jesus. You come to him with it. Cast the care. Yes. Let him take it. And he'll
0: carry it for you.